What's up, everyone? This is episode number 25 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And if you haven't seen them yet, after last week's episode, I I talked about in-person autographs. Well, I've been sharing some of my in-person autograph memories and pictures on my Instagram and Twitter this week. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter handle is at Wax Museum PC. Not surprisingly, the most popular posts seem to be the blurry pictures I took with Steph Curry and David Stern, so my loss is your gain. I'm glad I could share that with you. Um, I had a lot of fun interacting with you guys this week. Uh, As far as hobby news from this week, before we get to the main event, uh, many of you are already aware of this. It was pretty big news in the basketball hobby. Panini planned to release Contenders draft picks first off the line Thursday morning. Um, And even Wednesday night, Blowout was already offering $300 per box. Well, come Thursday, their servers just couldn't handle the traffic, and they issued this response. It said, Overwhelming demand for 2019 Contenders draft picks, collegiate basketball, caused our servers to crash, and we are temporarily postponing the first off-the-line release. We apologize for the inconvenience. We will relist this product soon and will provide notice 24 hours prior to launch. Um... My response to this, real quick, you know, I've seen pictures of Zion signing cards for a lot of sets already. Um, it even looks like they've airbrushed some uniforms. They were they were taking this whole Zion thing seriously, trying to get as much stuff on card as they could. So I want to give Panini kudos for that. Um, but then along comes the first product of the Zion era, and it's already messed up. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend like servers are my area of expertise, and I know that this happens with sneakers and other Uh, items as well but for a company of this caliber it just feels like this shouldn't be happening you know for this first time already it's not like they they didn't know there would be an overwhelming response but anyway uh, in other news speaking of a response and this is kind of a follow-up from something I've talked about previously back in June um, I emailed Tops about these Tyler Hero Chrome Autos. You know, we saw pictures of them being signed. We've seen pictures of one or two other ones since then. So I shot a, a quick email to Tops with just simply asking, when is this set coming out and how co- how can collectors get their hands on it? Well, my request was routed to customer service rep Anthony. This request took two months, so I was thinking, you know, there might actually be some substance here. Um, so what did Anthony have to say? Anthony said, at this time, I have not heard anything further regarding the Tyler Hero Topps Chrome signing. It is possible that these cards were being used as inserts for this year's release. However, nothing has been confirmed. Uh, Which, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. For this year's release, does he mean Topps Chrome Baseball? Does he mean there's an actual Topps Chrome Basketball release? So there's still a lot of mystery around these, and you know I thought come national these would make more sense, or maybe they were even part of a national product, and that hasn't, none of that has come to light yet. We don't know what's going on with these Topps Chrome autographs, so I'm going to keep following that, keep trying to dig at some more information, and I'll see what I can come up with. Um, another thing that I've seen this week, I've also seen quite a bit of hobby chat revolving around the famous credential set. So now that it's the offseason and with the one of one LeBron James ending on eBay in the last week, I decided it was a good time to do a little rundown of the set's history and talk about some of the changes it's gone through over the years. So for the main event today, in, in today's episode, I'm going to look at the origins, 
the logistics, and a couple of the more recent interesting stories um, regarding the credential set. Okay, I'm going to look at all of that today. So, if we really want to look at the origins of credentials, then we need to look at the origins of the Skybox branding as well. A lot of you are probably familiar with Skybox. You've seen it on cards for years. Um, because the majority, if not all, of the EX sets um, that had credentials cards were marketed as Skybox sets. Um, some of you, you know, you're familiar with the iconic gold-bordered basketball set from 1990. Well, at the time, this was not FLIR. It was a completely different brand from a, a different company called Impel Marketing. And really, that was an umbrella company for Hoops and Skybox. And, and they officially changed their name to Skybox in 1992. They made all sorts of sports and pop culture stuff. Um, I remember them making Lion King cards. They made milk caps. If you don't know what those are, maybe you know them better as Pogs. Um, although theirs weren't officially labeled Pogs because Pogs is trademarked. So it's, it's kind of like, uh, I don't, you know, Pop-Tarts, I guess. Nobody says, you know, calls a, a generic Pop-Tart a toaster pastry. They just said, I'm going to get some of these Walmart Pop-Tarts. And that's kind of the idea here is they, they made the milk caps, which were Pogs. Okay, so anyway, um, in 1995, Marvel which when I say Marvel, yes, I'm talking about Spider-Man, Hulk, Captain America, Avengers, and so on. They purchased Skybox um, in 1995 for $150 million. At the time, Marvel also owned FLIR, and they soon merged Skybox and FLIR, and they became FLIR Skybox International. So FLIR wasted little time in producing sets under the Skybox branding for its basketball line, and these sets usually had a very unique look to them compared to some of the normal FLIR cards. And I, I found out this wasn't a coincidence. And I corresponded some with Jean McLeod of Arena Design to get some insight on this, seeing as she and her husband were responsible for the designs. So this is one of the responses that I got from her recently. She said, I worked as the creative director in-house for FLIR from 1990 to 2000. For that decade, Arena Design was a contracted design company, and Earl Arena and I would work together designing sets. After leaving FLIR, I joined Arena Design, and Earl and I still work together. We were actually married, which is why we work together so well. Yes, I designed the EX sets, which would include the credentials. Earl designed most of the inserts from that set, most notably the Jambalaya set. I would have been in charge of the printing of the cards and any special printing techniques used. I'm amazed at how much interest there has been in the basketball cards lately. I knew when we were designing these sets that they would have longevity because of the collectability, but I am glad to see that they're still being appreciated and sought after. The only guideline we received at FLIR was that this was a skybox set, so we could pretty much do what we wanted. The FLIR sets were a little more conservative, and when we designed those sets, we really tried to have the two brands have their own look. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, it, it's nice to hear from the actual designers that um, FLIR and Skybox were supposed to have very different sets, FLIR being more conservative, Skybox being more, you know, imaginative and, and different and unique. Um, anyway, now that we know a little bit about the origins and we've heard from the mind of the designer, let's take a look at what each year had to offer. Um, I've already mentioned that credentials cards were part of a, a set called Skybox EX, and the EX had slight variations in its name over the years. It started as 1995-96 Skybox EXL. It was considered a premium set with just 100 cards, only the top veterans and rookies. 
And while it did have inserts like Natural Born Thrillers and No Boundaries, there were no credentials cards in 1995. So even though the EX set was around, there was no credentials. 1996-97 rolled around. This time they called the set Skybox EX 2000. Um, the base cards loosely resembled a set from 1995-96 called Hoop Skyview. There were 80 total cards, 82 if you count the checklist. Um, and then obviously with it being from 1996, the rookie class was a big draw. So you had the base cards, which were a mixture of different colors, which is purple, brown, green, and so on. There were some nice inserts, including the iconic a cut above, but there was only one base parallel, and that was the first real iteration of credentials. I've seen these described as having a, a pearl border or a pearl foil border. Um, the word credentials is boldly noted in one of the top corners. It depends on the card. And these are numbered to $4.99. And just some general comments about these cards, um, even including the base. They seem a lot more susceptible to just basic damage compared to a lot of other cards. So high grades can be pretty tough. There were a lot of issues with printing lines and centering. And some people have noticed that PSA tends to ignore manufacturing issues and only docks a card in grade for conditions that might be under an owner's control. So it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues. Um, a lot of people I've seen them point that out so far. And this, so this was the 96-97 set. While this was as a set was very popular with some collectors, I would say it's nowhere near the popularity of the next year's set, which was coined 1997-98 EX-2001 where once again we had a base set of 80 cards and the design combines an acetate and, and foil design with um, a die cut image of the player. The sequence of the base set is important though because it determines how each parallel is serial numbered and it was split into two different parallels. You had the credentials now and the credentials future and between the two parallels each player has a print run of only 81 cards. Uh, visually, the Now cards have kind of like a, a lime green color scheme and they're serial numbered to their card number. So card number one is serial numbered to one. Number two is serial numbered to two. You know, 20 is serial numbered to 20 and so on. And the idea here is that the players who were stars in 1997, um, which gives us the Now aspect, were more rare. So Grant Hill is a one of one. Speaking of Grant Hill... Um, well, this card was on the checklist. It never showed up on a public forum until December of 2018. And just a side note, that was a pretty incredible month for the hobby. You had the infamous LeBron James RPA thread. The Grant Hill 101 showed up. Um, the Menendez Brothers card kind of blew up all in this time frame. So December of 2018, there was a lot going on then. Um, so this Grant Hill card emerges, but prior to this card showing up, you know, people were, were getting really creative trying to find it still, even, you know, many years after it came out or supposedly came out. We hadn't even seen it. Um, I remember there was a sponsored post on Instagram looking for the card. It had a photoshopped version of the card. People were really curious if this thing existed. You know, what are the odds that it had actually been pulled? Maybe it had been washed out in a natural disaster of some sort, or, you know, maybe it had burned up in a fire. You know, or if it did show up, what would it go for? These were questions that I saw people asking. Well, after all these years, it finally showed up. Um, someone posted a thread on Blowout with it. Um, I know it's changed hands and the new owner is a collector. He's not in it for the money. 
So, you know, it looks like there's a happy ending to this after all. So that was the um, the Grant Hill 101. Now, then we have the Essential Credentials Future, which has a pink and a purple color scheme, and it's a mirror of the now set. So thus card number 80, which was Ron Mercer, he was a rookie, um, is numbered to one, serial number to one. Card 75, Tim Duncan, serial number to six. Um, so all of your the rookies that are in this set are at the end of the set, so they're more rare with the Futures cards. Now, speaking of Ron Mercer, um, I've read in several places that this card sold for $15,000, and I believe that that sale has been confirmed. Now, look, I know Ron Mercer had a bit of a following, but $15,000 for a Ron Mercer card, more than anything else, I think, is a, is a testament to what this set means to collectors of cards in general. Player collectors, set collectors... You know, I imagine they were all battling for that one. Um, when you look at the numbering for this set, it looks very intentional. Um, I want to read a part of a post from Adam. He's been on the show uh, here before several times in an older credentials thread on Blowout because I, I think he summed it up pretty well. And he said, The more you look at the checklist, the more it feels like Fleer tried to put the best rookies at the end of the set and the most popular non-rookies at the beginning, and the most mediocre players in the middle. No offense to the guys in the middle like Sam Cassell, Danielle Marshall, and David Wesley, but you get the picture. In retrospect, Fleer did a pretty good job of their tiers of players. Now, um, if you guys would like to hear a real interesting story about a Futures card, and a real interesting story about a Michael Jordan card, um, a story where maybe we don't unfortunately know the resolution, well, you're in the right place. This also happened to us at the end of 2018. Uh, and the story came to us in pieces. Literally. Um, so in late 2018, um, a lady list of Michael Jordan credentials future, which was serial numbered 62 out of 72 on eBay, it was slabbed as a PSA 6. The edges were eaten up. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's pretty significant surface damage. These were very condition-sensitive cards. And even numbered to 72, uh, on a card of this caliber, you can't be that picky. Looking at some of the sales information, uh, a BGS 8.5 sold for 8500 before this. So I would say a low estimate would still be between 5000 and 7000 and, you know, it could even be higher than that. Who knows? Well, she sold it for $750. And per the norm, um, people just can't let sales go. So I imagine her inbox was flooded. You know, I haven't spoken to her. I don't know what kind of messages she got. Anyway, the item is listed again the next day, which, you know, that type of stuff is fairly common. Except this time, the card that was slabbed is now in a top loader and it's broken in new pieces. And the new description says damaged. Actual card pictured, such a hard card to find. Yes, it was in a PSA 6 condition last night and can't believe what happened to it this morning. My loss, have no choice but to list it with no reserve and let it ride as is. Okay, so there's kind of a lot that needs to be filled in there. So the auction ends, we don't hear anything for two months. The new buyer finally shows up um, and passes along the information that he's been given. And he says, I just want to clear the air on this card. 
I was very fortunate to pick it up at an incredible price. The card, despite popular belief, was not cracked by the original owner. The PSA slab was cracked during transit via USPS in a priority paper envelope. The card is now back to the original design and is protected in a BGS slab. It will go down as one of the most talked about MJ credentials for sure. But when you look at things, that timeline really doesn't make sense. The card was relisted the next day. And that's when the original buyer comes in. So the original buyer logs onto the thread. He's a, a you know pretty popular poster on there, or frequent poster, I should say, on there. And he said, um, I won the card for the original price of $750. The seller promptly printed up a shipping label for the package. The tracking number shows the package never made it to the post office. Whatever happened to the card happened the morning after the auction ended. And then he went on to say, here's the message I received from the seller the next morning. OMG, it's got an exclamation point. Okay. Um, just for reference, that's how some of my seventh graders start their essays. Okay. Um, OMG, I woke up to a nightmare. I'm going to have to refund you ASAP. I left the card on the press table and my kid hit the button and destroyed the card. So then um, the original buyer said, I told him I was still willing to take the card in two pieces for the sale price, but by this time he had already canceled the auction. I offered him more, but he still declined more generous offers. Whatever happened to the card was the direct result of whoever was messaging him on eBay. Somebody put an idea in his head to do something, possibly crack the card out of the case in an unconventional way, maybe. I don't know, but someone out there who was contacting him should have the answers. Well, that person never emerged. Anyway, so the new person, the new owner of this card eventually made its way to him. And because this card was made of acetate, the new owner was able to glue it back together. Because it was a fairly clean break. And he sent it to BGS, and they slapped it as authentic. And there were some people that were upset that it didn't get labeled as altered. You know, I will say that the buyer was very transparent about the card. You know, I don't think they're trying to pull any type of shenanigans. But if that card ever hits the market again, which is 62 out of 72, there's definitely an interesting story to go with it. All right. So... I could go on and on about the 97-98 set, and some people would, would probably be receptive to that, but I'd like to move on. I'd like to do a run-through with some of the rest of the set as well. Um, this set's popularity, uh, speaking of credentials, um, definitely fluctuated after 1997, and because that seems to be the set that people are still the most interested in, but there are still plenty of desirable cards in the years that followed. So in 1998-99, we had Skybox... EX Century. It took on the same numbering pattern with the Now set and the Mirrored Future set, but there were a few cards added to the base set. So this time the parallels actually added up to 91. Um, in my opinion, I, I think these cards are fairly ugly. The Now parallels have a silver, silver color scheme and the Future cards have a gold one. Um, one other note, there's no Michael Jordan card in, in this credential set and, and there wouldn't be until 2001 because he had retired by that point. Um, speaking of future, I talked about the Mercer earlier. Here's another one that might shock some of you. Supposedly the Larry Hughes future 101 sold for $10,000. So once again, that goes back to set collectors and player collectors and team collectors kind of all waging war against one another. 
Um, all right, so moving on to 1999-2000. This time, the veterans from the two parallel sets added up to 61. The rookies added up to 31. These were had a little bit darker of a color scheme. Once again, it's not as attractive as those from 1997, but in my opinion, it's not horrible either. We talk a lot about all of the big names, but for some of these guys like Jermaine Jones and Evan Eshmeyer, if you remember those guys, if you collect them, you know, you're out of luck. There might be only one or two made of their parallel. And I'm curious to see what one of these would even go for if, if you know, it's not locked up in someone's personal collection. Ideally, if you're a player collector and you don't have these, you have to hope that they were placed somewhere in the middle of the print run. So, you know, maybe one is numbered a little higher so that you have a shot at getting them both. A good example of that is a card that actually I um, would be more than happy to find. I wish I could find it. Um, Jeff Foster is as close to the middle as you can get. His cards are numbered to 15 and 16. Um, I've only seen two recorded sales on Worth Point. I'd love to find one of these one day. But anyway, moving into the 2000s, the credentials set started to lose some of its allure. Um, some of the, you know, the rookie classes weren't, uh, they were really bad. And then they kept messing with the numbering. The designs changed quite a bit as well. And I'm gonna, so I'm going to run through these a little bit quicker. So with 2000, 2001, this time the future and now were combined in one set. There was no mirror numbering. Um, there were a hundred veterans that were out of um, num- numbered out of two hundred and one, which was considered the now, and then thirty rookies that were numbered out of twenty one, which is considered the futures. For veterans, it's lost some of that appeal because it you know it doesn't have the same rarity. And as far as rookies go, uh, I actually picked one of those up in a lot not too long ago. It was Mark Madsen. Um, you know, I, it was a pretty cheap lot. I thought it was a, it was an interesting card to have. Um, I kind of like it just for that set, just because there's no now parallel. It's just the future, just numbered to 21. Um, but you know, it's just not a very popular set. And moving on to 2001, 2002, the look changed quite a bit. Um, they did bring back the futures and the now as mirrored sets, which I, I like. I really like the mirrored numbering system. I think that's really unique, and, and I like how that works. Um, this time they added up to 71, but the numbering was it was you know previously it was based off of the kind of the caliber of player or the higher profile players. This time it was ordered alphabetically by the city or the state name. So like. Atlanta was towards the top, Boston was towards the top, Charlotte was towards the top, you know, Chicago, so, you know, and on and on, you get that. Um, the material used to make the actual cards is a little different, it's it's not acetate, it's it's more like a, um, I mean, it's still a glossy card, but it's kind of, it's more papery. In fact, I have one from that year, I think it's Richard Jefferson with some paper loss. 2002, 2003 rolled around, and they just stopped producing the set. So we didn't have any credentials this year, which is a shame. Um, even with a bad design, you know, I think a set with Yao and Amare would have been a pretty big deal. Um, it probably would have given us, you know, one more Jordan credentials, even if it is in a Wizards uniform. But you know, that wasn't the case. Um, the set, however, did come back with a bang in 2003 which was no surprise with all the LeBron hype. The numbering changed again. This time there were 103 cards per player stretched out over the two parallels. The cards resembled more of the acetate finish again, which was nice. Um, 
the I still think that the the color scheme on these are kind of ugly. The the now is like a I don't even know a great way to describe it. It almost looks like it's pea stained, which I know that's kind of crude, but the uh, and then the other ones are kind of, the future are kind of a light blue. Um, as I alluded to in my intro, the the LeBron, the, the LeBron James credentials future, which is a one of one, surfaced again in the last week or two. Um, so there's been some chatter about this card. We really haven't seen anything about it since it was pulled around release. It was slabbed as a BGS 9 in December 2003. One thing I think is pretty cool is it's still in that same slab. I know there are people discussed it this week when they saw it on eBay. They, they said, you know, well, maybe they should try and bump it to a, a 9.5 or a 10. You know, that card was in Beckett when it was pulled um, you know, you, the grading dates back to that time frame. You kind of have that provenance. Um, it is a one of one. I'm not big on grading one of ones anyway. So, you know, personally, I would leave it in there if I ever had that card, which so I think it's pretty cool. It's in the same card. Um, a card of this caliber, in my opinion, deserves to be at a nice auction house. You want good quality photos to go along with it. You know, you just want to make sure that your your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed when you list this one. Well, that's not what happened with this listing. Um, so this listing was titled simply in all lowercase letters, LeBron James Rookie Card 1 of 1. And I'll give the seller credit. At least they put 12 different pictures on there, but they weren't great pictures. The description was just one line of text that says condition is brand new. I pay 10k back in 2003 not graded. I can deliver it in person. And that was it for, you know, one of the biggest LeBron James rookie cards out there. Um, so for as bad of a listing as this was though, uh, there was still a lot of talk about this card. And it got posted on Blowout pretty early in and it ended up with almost a thousand watchers. There was quite a bit of talk about whether or not the seller left any money on the table. Someone in the thread speculated that the obscure listing might have even worked to his benefit. Um, you know, just like I, I think sometimes if I see a, a basketball box listed in under baseball, um, it makes me feel like I'm getting a steal. So I'm going to keep bidding on it. But the, the truth of the matter is I, I don't think that's a fair comparison with a card like this. And... Um, you know, there were some people that say he probably left $100,000 on the table. I don't know if it was that much, but I think he would have done better at a legitimate auction house. And I, you know, I know of one key player that wasn't even, wasn't even able to get in on the action, one key bidder. For those of you that don't know, there there's a collector named Nat Turner who's been very successful in his career and his collection reflects this as well. He was the winner of the famous Michael Jordan PMG Green Auction um, Nat has been very gracious in taking the time to, um, he's gone on Cardboard Chronicles. He has, um, you know, got nice scans of his cards. He posts them online for people to see. Um, there's a lot of awesome collections that never see the light of day or never get shown off for some reason, but that's not the case with him. He shows results from a lot of his box breaks on Instagram. Um, so anyway, I saw someone ask him on there if he went after it, and, and he said that eBay wouldn't let him bid on it due to some amount restriction. So, you know, he's been a real asset to the hobby. I was hoping he'd get it, but he didn't, and we don't know who did yet. And whoever did, it, it ended a little over $160,000. 
Some people think that was a steal. Some people think it was about right. Either way, that was by far the biggest card that came from this 2003 release, and it was nice to see it surface after being tucked away for so long. Okay, so while there were some nice credentials cards that followed, there certainly wasn't anything of that caliber that came after 2003. In 2004 and 2005, they went back to an uglier design with a more solid color schemes like they had in 2001. It was more of a paper-based set. There wasn't any acetate or anything. I'm not a big fan of this one. Um, 2005-2006, the set was skipped entirely. Remember, Fleer had gone bankrupt in the last year at that point. Um, Upper Deck had the Fleer license, but they weren't putting out too many cards under it yet, so I, I guess EX just didn't make the cut. 2006-2007, um, Upper Deck did bring the credentials back, and they featured another bright color scheme. There were only 40 cards in this set. Um, and the parallels combined, I believe, to give each player 81 cards again, like some of the more iconic releases. They went back to the mirrored numbering, so they brought a lot of the things back from the 97 set that people really enjoyed. And for a while, these were a really good value pickup. And I think they kind of had the stigma on them that, you know, they're not the real thing. They're the upper deck versions. They're after the fact, but... They have started to climb over the time, and, and they have gotten much popular, as as with the you know the 97 set itself continues to grow in popularity. So this was the last real credential set that featured NBA uniforms. We did, however, see the return of credentials in 2012-2013 Fleer Retro, which was another Upper Deck product. Remember, they still had that licensing. Um, this was when they had the college license as well. Now they don't even have that. So this set utilized the 97-98 design, but it was more scarce in that you only had 43 total combined cards per player. Now, the good thing, though, is that the checklist is awesome. Of course, none of these, like I said, they're not in an NBA uniform, but it was a cheaper alternative for some players at one time. And now these are going up as well. Um, another bonus that I liked about this, though, is, is it was nice to get or nice to see credentials of players for that never had them, like Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, and so on. So anyway, um, that was a fairly quick run through of the credential set and its history. Um, you know that might have been a little bit more of a technical episode than some of you are used to. I'm not really going to touch pricing today, but these have become even more popular as of late, and I just want to close with some general thoughts on their appeal, especially for the 97-98 set. Um, you know, I think these are so popular because number one, visually, they, they just stood out. When you hold one of these cards, when you look at it, it's it's just different. It has the look and the feel of something special. Uh, number two, I you know, I think there's appeal because the numbering in this set was unlike anything that we've seen before, and it's still unlike anything we have now. So there's um, sort of a uniqueness factor to it. And this numbering, it presented a challenge to team collectors player collectors, set collectors. And keep in mind, this was the highest in brand released at the time. And I think it's evident that these people were all battling for these cards because think about the prices I named for Ron Mercer and Larry Hughes. We're not talking about Kobe and Jordan. However, um, speaking of Kobe and Jordan, point number three, I think these appeal so much because the player selection has stood the test of time. Yes, there were a few rookies like that that didn't pan out, but overall, 
um, there's a number of iconic players, and it has that nostalgia. So anyway, when we see the increase in interest here, I think there are some legitimate factors behind that. Um, now, as with anything valuable, there seem to be some fakes out there. In fact, someone was telling me that there's a Jordan on eBay now that some people have questioned the serial number on. Well, that's really the main thing that you have to watch for. Some of them surfaced unnumbered after the FLIR bankruptcy, and then they were stamped later on. So just pay close attention to the size and the font of the numbering. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I will do my best to post pictures of some cards I've talked about as part of this episode on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast. I'd love for you guys to tag me in some of your favorite credentials cards as well. Maybe you guys can even help me find one of those Jeff Foster parallels. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.